When we last left off, we'd learned that Mallory hadn't exactly told Betty everything she needed in order to put together a full picture for the church. Let's find out what else we don't know. We're on to the third and final installment of We Shouldn't Be Talking About This. What you working on? Betty asked, leaning down to give her husband a kiss. Andrew is at the table with his laptop, a bowl of tortilla chips and guacamole beside him. I'm just answering emails. You're going to ruin your dinner, Betty chided. Andrew shrugged. I'm starving. I couldn't wait. How was your meeting with that woman? Um, pretty weird. I don't doubt it. Just promise me that weird won't follow you home. Biddy smiled guiltily. I promise. Is Alice here? He pointed to the ceiling. From the sounds of it, she's been blasting music on and off for the last half hour. Uh-oh, did she say anything about her world history essay? I wonder if it didn't turn out so well. I don't know, I haven't talked to her yet. I was on a call when I came in and I had to hop right on the computer, he replied. After crunching a handful of chips, he said, Hey, were you looking for something in the basement? No, why? There were some boxes out of place on the shelves. Some holiday bins and a couple of your old conference boxes. Really? Yeah, I was down there looking for extension cords for the Halloween decorations, and I noticed things were out of order. Andrew had always been a neat freak. The storage area in their basement lined with tidy shelves full of labeled, color-coordinated plastic bins. Long ago, she'd tucked all the documents and equipment from her past life as a ghost hunter on the top shelves, not willing to let it all go. Someday, she thought she might weed through them, but with so much pulling for her attention, they'd remained out of sight, out of mind. Until now. I haven't been down there in ages, Biddy said, a prickle of worry settling in her chest. Alice was probably just looking for more decorations, he replied. Biddy knew that wasn't true. Their daughter had lost her enthusiasm for holiday decorating in recent years, but put in an effort for her father's sake. Right, well, thanks for putting it all back in order, said Biddy, intending to check on the boxes as soon as she got the chance. I'll just run upstairs and see what she wants for dinner. Let's order in. I'm not in the mood to cook. Heading into the foyer, Betty could hear the deep bass from Alice's Sonos speaker, but when she got to the top of the stairs, the noise stopped. Her daughter's door sat open a crack, and Betty knocked on it gently and called her name before pushing it open. Hey there, she began, before realizing she was speaking to an empty room. Alice? She turned to look across the hall and saw through to the open bathroom door that it was empty as well. She checked the guest room and then her own bedroom. Alice, she called again. No response. Rushing down the stairs, she called out to Andrew. Did Alice come downstairs? He looked up from his computer screen. She's not in her room? No, I... Betty began, but a faint tapping on the basement door stopped her mid-sentence. The couple looked at each other. Betty strode right to the door and yanked it open. Alice, what are you doing down there? She said, fear causing her to come out more forcefully than she'd intended. Betty stared down the empty basement stairs for a long moment, Andrew behind her, peering into the darkness. Alice, that's enough, he called out. Ha ha, you got us. 
Silence. Biddy shut the door and bolted it, then turned slowly to face her husband. I'm planning to have someone come clear the house. I... I'm home! Alice's voice rang out before they heard the mudroom door slam. They watched her enter the kitchen and take off her backpack. Where were you? her father demanded. Alice's face filled with concern. I was at Emily's, studying for our Mandarin exam. Why? What's wrong? Nothing. We just... Biddy began. Were you here earlier? Andrew cut in. I went right to Emily's after school. Why are you so mad? We were doing homework. We're not mad, said Biddy. We just got our signals crossed. How does pizza sound for dinner? Alice looked between her parents for a beat before saying, I'd rather tie. Then tie it is, Biddy replied with forced cheer. They watched Alice leave the room and listened as she climbed to the second floor. I heard her walking around up there. I heard her music blaring, Andrew said in a low voice. I believe you, Biddy replied. I can't do this again, he said, running a hand through his hair. I can't have this in my house. I understand you think that you're helping people, but at what cost? She watched him. The thought of him being disappointed in her frightened her more than anything that could be lurking in their home. I can fix it. I'll have someone come right away. Her cell phone buzzed in her pocket and Biddy stopped in the middle of the leaf-strewn path. I'm out of town until next Friday, the message read. Shit, she muttered, then stared up at the tall pine forest surrounding her before typing, I'm having some trouble at the house, and I was hoping you could come clear the air for me. What brand of trouble? Sam, the psychic intuitive medium she knew from years past, responded. Tapping, footsteps, some electrical interference, music turning off and on by itself, Biddy replied. Rutro, you been in any haunted houses lately? No, but I have been interviewing a family for the church. You meet them face to face? Yes and it followed you home. Maybe things stirred up around the time I got the first email about their situation. Wowzers, that's one strong demon. It's probably just testing the perimeter. You've got your medals at the four corners still, yes? Yes. I'll give them a little refresh and clear the house as soon as I get back, cool? Thank you. In the meantime, get yourself a rosemary candle and burn it in the center of your home. Kitchen's probably best. Light a fire in the fireplace and salt all the doorsteps. Will do. Biddy was about to type out another thank you, but stopped as she heard rapid footsteps approaching, crunching the leaves on the path behind her. Excuse me, she began as she turned to look and step aside. No one was there. She spun in a full circle, searching for whoever had just rushed up behind her. She was alone. Her phone buzzed in her hand with an incoming text from Sam. Reluctantly, she looked down and read the message. Not to be too dramatic, but I have a weird feeling about this. Like, I'm getting the phrase, not what it seems. Same, Biddy typed out quickly. I'll talk to you when you get back. Safe travels. She slid her phone into her back pocket and jogged the rest of the way out of the woods. The house was just as creepy as Biddy had imagined perhaps even more so due to its crumbled-down state. Weeds had overtaken the narrow strip of lawn between a stone wall and the long front porch. 
The house was painted that classic New England deep navy bordering on black that always reminded Biddy of houses in Salem. She climbed the creaking porch steps and rang the bell, though she didn't hear it ring out. After a long pause, she knocked on the front door. No answer. Straining her ear, she leaned toward the house, listening for voices or footsteps or some other indication that someone was home. Two cars sat on the weed-choked driveway to her right, a dented pickup truck and a gleaming white SUV. She considered turning around and leaving, waiting until Sam got back to town and sorted things out in her own house before she met with these people. She knew deep down she was inviting trouble continuing with this case. She promised Andrew when she began working with the church that she would keep their home safe. Now here he was, burning rosemary candles from dawn till dusk the past two days and resalting the doors each morning. The house had been quiet since that tense afternoon. No more knocking or footsteps or music, but she could feel it, the strain in the air. Something wasn't right. Backing down from a challenge went against everything within her, but she couldn't stand being the cause of Andrew's discomfort. She hated breaking her promise. She'd made up her mind and was about to sneak back to her car when the front door swung open. At the same time, a pile of mail that had been perched precariously on a garden stool by the porch steps tipped and fanned out across the porch. Instinctively, Biddy bent down to pick up the envelopes and mailers. Leave it, just leave it, barked the man standing in the doorway. A woman appeared by her side and apologized as she helped scoop up the papers. So you're the church woman, the man snapped as Biddy stood and offered him a pile of unopened mail. That's right, I'm Bridget Wallace, she replied, holding his gaze, but I go by Biddy. He was a small man, an inch or so shorter than she was, compact and sinewy, with a full head of salt and pepper hair and a matching mustache. His son couldn't have belonged to anyone else. The two were spitting images of one another. And Mallory was absolutely her mother's daughter. I'm Molly, the woman said, taking the pile of mail from Biddy's hands. This is Dawn. Please, come in. Biddy reluctantly followed the couple into their home. The inside was in slightly better shape than the exterior. They led her through a short hallway past the stairs to the kitchen at the back of the house. I thought we'd talk in here. Please, have a seat. Molly motioned to the table set in front of a bank of windows. What a gorgeous view, Biddy commented. You should see it when the lavender is blooming. Molly replied. What can I get you? Coffee? Water? Just coffee would be great. Thank you. Her husband leaned against the kitchen counter, scowling, arms crossed. How long is this going to take? He demanded. We spent too much time on this nonsense already. Have a seat, Don, Molly said. I'll fix you a coffee. She carried three mugs to the table and sat across from Biddy. Don, please, she pleaded. He grunted in reply and stalked over to the table like a bratty child. If you're that upset, perhaps you should give your wife and me a chance to chat in peace, Biddy suggested, before sipping her coffee. It was good. Nice, strong, dark roast, she thought approvingly. You can't talk to me like that in my own house. I... Dawn, please, Molly pleaded. We agreed to do this. This is our chance to clear the air. He huffed and crossed his arms over his chest again. This is all a misunderstanding, Molly began. 
Mallory always had an absurdly active imagination, and I've always been sorry that we didn't nip this in the bud when she was young. Are you saying that she's only imagined the demonic and paranormal activity on your property? That's exactly what we're saying, Don spat. Biddy ignored him. Your son claims to have experienced intense night terrors and even saw an apparition in the woods when he was young. Childhood nightmares, said Molly. Mallory has blown this whole thing out of proportion, and now she's campaigning to keep our grandson away from us because there's a demon in our basement. Molly let out a forced guffaw that grated on Biddy's ears. It is nonsense. Absolute absurdity. It's why we left the city, Don added. How's that? asked Biddy. She had a friend who was very deep into occult practices, Molly said seriously. As I understood it, Mallory was only around 12 when you moved into this house. How deep into the occult could a friend of hers have been? Molly scoffed. Well, why don't you tell us if you know so much about it? The girls toyed with a spirit board at that girl's house, and I found black candles and scraps of burnt paper with names at a small shrine in Mallory's closet. Is that occult enough for you? Biddy took a moment to process this information. Wow, okay. She didn't mention any of this when we spoke. Nor would she, Molly spat. She got herself mixed up in that evil practice, and we never fully pulled her out of it. I know she still practices that devilry today. How do you know that? Just take a look at what she does for a living, said Don. Biddy had been meaning to check out Mallory's Etsy shop, but hadn't gotten around to it. How is selling planner supplies evil? Is that what she's calling it? said Molly. Crystal spell bookmarks, spirit board necklaces, demonic stickers. She's gone round the bend, and now she's calling on the church to say... Us? We aren't the ones that need saving. She was always too sensitive, carrying on about monsters and noises in the house. I should have put my foot down, but Molly said she'd grow out of it. Now here we are, dealing with the goddamn church because of her damn nonsense, Don grumbled. So, neither of you ever experienced anything out of the ordinary in this house, Biddy pressed. Never, said Don. Molly glanced at him and said, It's an old house, just creaks and shadows. Shadows, said Biddy, raising her eyebrows. Molly pursed her lips as Don shifted in his seat. Biddy sighed. If you aren't willing to tell me what actually went on in this house, then I can't help you, and neither can the church. But that's just it. We don't need help. We are just fine. We would like you to convince our daughter to stop trying to frighten her brother with these lies. We deserve to see our grandson. There is nothing in this house that will hurt that boy, Don added. It isn't my role or responsibility to convince your daughter of anything. I came here to document your experience of a demonic haunting, but if you're not interested in pursuing the church's assistance, then I think we might be at an impasse. So you won't help us, Molly said. Her voice catching. That's what she said, Don spat. We're better off. But thanks for nothing, Don grumbled, pushing away from the table. Molly let out a little squeak. Startled, Biddy began to ask her if she was all right. As Molly stood so quickly, she knocked her chair over. Goosebumps rolled over Biddy's body. 
Molly was staring behind her, her eyes tracking something or someone. Slowly, Biddy turned just in time to see a large shadow flit out of sight past the doorway. She stood slowly, not wanting to turn her back on the shadow figure. You have to help us, Molly pleaded. We need the family to come together, Don said in a shaky voice. You need a priest, Biddy breathed. A loud bang rang out somewhere in the house. You should go, Molly whispered. Without another word, Biddy walked straight out the front door. Those people are completely under that thing's control, Biddy said, holding her phone between her cheek and shoulder as she stirred that night's dinner. You really shouldn't have gone there alone, Liz replied. Who was I supposed to bring? Biddy asked, placing the top back on the crock pot. I don't know, Liz muttered. Look, if they don't want help, you can't help them. I don't think they're in the position to know what's good for them, Biddy replied, leaning against the counter with a glass of wine. I'm going to do some research on that house, then I'll just give her everything I find over to the church and let them sort it out. What did Mindy say about it? Mallory, Biddy corrected. I texted and left a message right after I got out of that house, but I haven't heard back yet. I have such a bad feeling about that family. She's got to either cut ties completely or only meet them in neutral settings, right? Who is that, Alice? asked Liz. Who was what? Biddy began to respond when she heard a noise coming from the front of the house. How in the world did you hear that? she asked, putting down her glass and moving toward the front hall. Frank picked up his head and gave a low whine from his dog bed in the corner of the kitchen. Go peek in on Alice, Liz said, trying and failing to sound nonchalant. Thump, thump, thump. What the fuck is that? Biddy breathed, before yelling her daughter's name and getting no response. I'll call Judith. Tell her she needs to come tomorrow and clear your house out. What is it? Biddy asked, standing at the bottom of the stairs, uncharacteristically frozen in fear. I don't know, Liz admitted. Then, shoot, wait, Cat, hold on, don't, ugh, dogs, no, god damn it, Cat just spilled an entire box of cereal, can I call you right back? She ended the call without waiting for a response. Biddy slid her phone into her back pocket. Alice? She yelled from the bottom step. No response. She climbed the stairs slowly, listening, assuming her daughter was playing a game and had on her headphones. Thump, thump, thump. The noise made her jump. It sounded as though it came from inside the wall directly beside her. She took the rest of the stairs two at a time. Alice! She yelled, banging on her daughter's bedroom door. She was about to try the handle when the door swung open. Mom, God, why are you wailing on my door? Alice snapped. Didn't you hear me calling your name? No, sorry. Were you listening to music? Betty looked over Alice's shoulder to see the black computer screen on her desk. A book lay open on her bed, her cell phone beside it. No headphones in sight. No, I was just reading. Okay, sorry to startle you. Alice began to shut her door, but Biddy put her hand out to stop her. Did you hear that banging noise? A look of concern, or maybe fear, crossed Alice's face. I didn't hear anything, she said. Huh, Biddy replied, giving her a look that conveyed she didn't believe her. You know what? Leave your door open, okay? 
I'll call up when Dad gets home. It's chilly night. Fine, Alice muttered, turning and flopping onto her bed. Look, I'm sorry I didn't tell you, but really, what does it matter? Mallory pleaded. You saw what is in that house. You saw how dedicated they are to protecting Lai. The church has to help us. Your parents don't want help, Biddy pointed out. But they need it, Mallory countered. I agree, but the church will not intervene unless it has the express consent of the homeowner, Biddy replied. Mallory groaned in frustration. What else haven't you told me? Biddy asked. She waited patiently as Mallory took her time to respond. Our childhood was lonely. Even before we moved out of that house, my parents were checked out. I didn't have many friends before we moved, and then we moved, and there just wasn't anyone. A little girl I'd played with a few times after school, when my mom was out, showed me how to use a Ouija board. We toyed around with a pendulum, too. It was completely and totally harmless and fun. Nothing happened. But I loved it, and I became really interested in the paranormal and all that. I read everything I could get my hands on in our library, and then... When we moved to that house, I began trying to connect with something. Anything. The house was totally old and creepy and run down when we moved in, but nothing more than that. Just an old house. I started showing Devlin how to make little offerings in the woods. I thought I'd attract... Ugh, it sounds so ridiculous saying it out loud, but I wanted to befriend the fairies. I tucked little flower pouches and snacks, like teddy grams and stuff, in the cracks in the stone wall in the backyard. Mallory fell silent for a time before continuing. One afternoon, when my parents were out somewhere and Devlin was off riding his bike, I opened the back door to the house and I made a whole little ritual of welcoming the spirits of the woods into our home. A welcome to all beings to come and join us, something like that. That night was the first time Devlin had one of his night terrors. Betty sighed. Oh, I'm so sorry. I did everything I could think of. I tried to find a way to kick it back out of the house, but I couldn't do it and my parents wouldn't listen. My mother, well, you met her. She's as angry as my father, but she hides it better. She hated me. I know she did. Does. I know she knew what I had done had actually worked, but she cloaked herself with denial and religion and just ignored me. Mallory's voice caught, and she took a moment to gather herself. The bracelets were the first thing that seemed to offer us any protection. I got them up in Salem from a really nice woman with a crystal shop. I gave her the abridged version of what was happening in the house, and she made those bracelets for us. I told my mom they were just friendship bracelets, so she'd let us wear them. And then we went off to school and things were okay, I guess. But then Devlin had his son and he moved back here and started spending more and more time with my parents at the house. And that's why I knew I had to do something, that we needed help. It sounds like you've done all you can. I don't think there's anything else you can do at this point. I can't just let this drop. At the very least, I need my brother to listen to me. Look, Mallory... You know what they say about returning to a dry well. I know you want your family to hear you, and I know you must carry a lot of guilt for what's happened, but if I could give you a piece of advice, drop this. 
You've had your say. Your parents are neither interested nor willing to do anything about the problem in your home. The best you can do at this point is stay far away from them and that house. What about my nephew? Again, I think you've done all you can. Your brother's in therapy. Maybe he'll come to see how dangerous the family dynamic is, but you can't make him do anything. I'm not giving up that easily. Not even an hour later, Biddy received a text message. This entire exercise was a mistake. My parents hoped it would help Mallory's mental health if we agreed to this process, and it has done the opposite. My parents want to withdraw the request for the church assistance immediately, and they want no further contact. Biddy stared at the text and typed out several responses before settling on, I respect their decision, but I would be remiss if I didn't at least ask them to reconsider. I believe your family is under demonic oppression, and that poses a danger to all of you. Biddy watched the little gray ellipsis cycling as Devlin typed his response. Do not contact me or my parents again. Mallory is unwell and does not speak for anyone in our family. Well, that's that then, Biddy muttered, tossing her phone on the counter. She was in bed playing solitaire on her phone. Frank curled up at her feet and Andrew snoring softly beside her. She was about to turn out the light when she heard a low mumbling. It was Alice. Damn it all, Biddy muttered, swinging her legs out of her cozy bed. Alice must have snuck her cell phone off the charging station in the kitchen. She knew better than that. No cell phones after 8.30. Frank watched her sleepily as she left the room for the dark hallway. As she approached her daughter's door, she listened, hearing not only Alice's voice, but then a low, deep voice responding to it. A boy? Damn it all, she muttered again, about to knock on the bedroom door, when she heard the male voice say, Shh, your mom. Oh my God, does she have a fucking boy in her room? Biddy thought frantically, shoving the door open without knocking. What is going on in here? She demanded. Alice sat on her bed. She turned to face the door, a look of sheer terror on her face. It took a moment for Biddy to realize what Alice was holding. She was expecting to see a phone in her daughter's hand. Instead, she held a small, gray, rectangular object. Mom, I'm sorry, I just wanted... Where did you find that? Alice dropped the digital recorder onto her bedspread. I didn't... Where did you get that? Biddy yelled. In a box in the basement. I was just trying to see if I could capture any voices. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal? Do you have any idea how dangerous this is? But you used to do it all the time, Alice argued. Why is it okay for you but not for me? Alice, Biddy began. It wasn't okay for me at all. She snatched the recorder off the bed. How long have you been doing this? Alice pulled her knees up to her chest, wrapping her arms around them. I don't know, a few weeks? What even gave you the idea? Andrew appeared in the doorway, Frank at his feet. What's wrong? he asked, before his eyes fell on the digital recorder in Biddy's hand. Where did that come from? Why are you both acting like you found me in here doing heroin or something? I'm just recording EVPs. I was just curious to see if I could hear anything. Biddy slumped down onto the edge of the bed beside her. And did you? The fear returned to Alice's face. What did you hear? Biddy asked, her voice softening. Just some voices, Alice replied, looking close to tears. Mostly just one. 
Was it the male voice I just heard? Alice nodded. Did it give you a name? Alice bit her lip. Did it tell you his name was Poe? You said you got rid of that thing, Andrew said quickly. How do you know about Poe? asked Alice, her fear now tinged with excitement. What has it told you? Biddy asked, ignoring her question. It? Alice looked confused. He's a ghost. He used to live in this house, like back in the 1920s. Our house was built in 1973, Andrew muttered. Biddy shot him a look. He crossed his arms and leaned against the wall. Then there must have been a house here before that, Alice insisted. He was a veterinarian. Honey, no, Biddy said gently. You aren't talking to a ghost. This thing... Listen to the recordings, Alice insisted, pointing to the recorder in Biddy's hand. No, she replied. This thing, Poe, it's not what you think it is. It's a shadow figure, and how do you know anything? Alice said, defiant. I know because it followed me for half my life. I know because I dedicated half my life to chasing these things, and nothing good ever came of it. It stalked me, and now it's stalking you. Alice shook her head. But I'm sorry, honey. I should have warned you. Ugh, fucking kids, Liz grumbled. I can't believe it. Me either. I should have known. I'm the one who should have known. Clarence says she had no idea. She's really sorry. Biddy waved her hand, brushing aside the apology. Shadow figures are really fucking sneaky. I'm sure he didn't want anyone to know he was lurking around. How's Alice? Well, when I explained to her who Poe was and what it took to get rid of him, she was scared shitless. Poor thing. Liz sipped her massive pumpkin spice latte. Judith sorted everything out, though. Yes, thank God. Between her and Father McGonagall, I think we're in the clear. Unable to help herself, Liz said, Sam wasn't available? Biddy laughed. What is it with you and that woman? She's passive-aggressive. She called my jeans high waters the last time I saw her, and I don't think she thinks I can talk to ghosts. What do you care what she thinks? asked Biddy. I don't. I just hate it when I feel like someone has a problem with me and I've done nothing but be friendly. I know you do, Biddy replied, breaking off a piece of scone and popping it in her mouth. So whatever happened with those weird siblings, David and Mindy? Devlin and Mallory, Biddy corrected. The brother texted me yesterday to tell me that his parents were calling the whole thing off. They're convinced that Mallory has so-called mental health problems, and that's all there is to it. I texted her a bit after I talked to them. Basically, she feels guilty for letting everything in, and I don't think she's going to give up trying to convince them to do something about that house anytime soon. But from what I gathered about those parents, it's useless. They're in such deep denial. I don't think they would admit there was a problem, even if that demon walked right up to them and slapped them across the face. I warned her not to go back to that house, though. Well, Liz sighed. Good riddance. You've got enough on your plate. True, Betty agreed. I just, I don't know. I still have a bad feeling about the whole thing. Like, it isn't really over. Liz looked down at the table, silent, listening. Looking back up, she said, You're right, it isn't. 
then finished off the sticky sweet coffee. Go on, Biddy prompted. Mm, Claire doesn't know exactly. She just said, this won't be the last we hear from them. A week later, Biddy was in her backyard throwing the ball for Frank. The leaves were almost all down. She really should be raking, but she didn't have the energy. Halloween had come and gone, the blow-up pumpkins and ghosts neatly tucked away, Andrew's bin of tightly wound strings of Christmas lights waiting for him in the garage. She'd been thinking a lot about the past, about her years ghost hunting and speaking at conferences, teaching others to record EVPs and capture proof of the paranormal. She wondered what would have happened if she'd never stopped. Had Poe ever really left? Had he been at the edges of her life all these years, patiently waiting for a chance to slip back in? Well, he'd found a way, through her daughter. They'd been talking a lot about Biddy's old career. She knew that forbidding Alice from looking into the darkness would only push her daughter towards it. So she made her a deal. She dug through her old boxes of materials and brought out a few books, some old notes, and even a couple of video recordings. And she agreed that if Alice would learn about the paranormal, really learn about it, not just dip a toe in with a couple podcasts and Reddit boards, then maybe someday they could go on an investigation together. She'd even decided to introduce her daughter to some of her old contacts. Maybe let her old tech guy Eric teach her some tricks. The truth was, Biddy missed that world she used to know so well. She missed walking into a house and knowing just what to do, being in command, leading a team. Frank lost interest in the ball and began to follow his nose into an overgrown patch of rhododendron at the back of the yard. Biddy flopped down into an Adirondack chair and took her phone out of her jacket pocket. She was surprised to see she'd missed three calls. She pressed Liz's number and lifted her phone to her ear. It barely rung when Liz answered. You remember that woman Mallory, the one with the demon in her parents' basement? Of course, yeah. I haven't heard anything from her since we last talked, though. Why? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm actually with her right now. Really? How is she? Well, she's okay, I guess. But, um... Have her parents changed their minds? You know it's not that easy. There's a cue. It's not like I can just put them right back to the front of the line. They're going to have to wait. Right, no, kind of, but listen, it's sort of urgent. If it's so urgent, why didn't she reach out to me? Listen, she went to the house to try one more time to convince her parents to. You're kidding me. I told her not to go back. Right, well, she did, and don't freak out, okay? Why would I freak out? But before the words had left her mouth, Biddy understood. Mallory was gone. Oh my God, what happened? She went to talk to her parents yesterday. Well, she thinks it was yesterday. And when they didn't answer the door, she went inside and heard her dad call to her from the basement. Only it wasn't her dad. Oh no. She tripped down the stairs. Okay, no, sorry. She was pushed down the stairs and she thinks she hit her head too hard. Jesus Christ, have you called the police? And tell them what? Fuck, I don't know, a wellness check? Shit, right, of course. Okay, but just hold on. She saw it, the demon. It has at least eight people down there. She thinks she was able to get away because of the bracelet she wears, but... Liz paused. The nephew, Biddy whispered. Exactly. They were both silent for a time. I'm going to call the police. Biddy said, making up her mind. 
You call the brother and do whatever you have to do to make him believe that you are talking to his sister. He cannot go to that house, and he sure as hell can't bring the kid there. When Liz didn't respond, Betty nearly yelled, Hello? There's more, Liz said, her voice shaky. What is it? It was the brother. Her brother's the one who pushed her. If you'd like to hear Biddy's story in its complete form without any intros or outros or other distractions, head over to Ghosts in the Burbs on Patreon and join at the $5 per month Just the Spooky Story level, where it lives right now ad-free. Biddy's story is done, for now, but that doesn't mean this season of Ghosts in the Burbs is over. Stay tuned right here for an upcoming traditional creepy Wellesley interview. I'll shoot for this coming Friday, but you know how these things go. In the meantime... Read, listen, and watch as much scary content as you you are able. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.